pray for a second. Lord, we love you. God, we bless you this morning, God. We thank you that you're just a good God. You're a God that sees us. You're a God that knows us, Lord. You know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, a lot of times we, we do silly things. And a lot of times we run from you. But Lord, you're always there to bring us back. You're always there to restore us, God. And we just thank you for that. Lord, I pray that today is just a drawing time, Lord, that we would be drawn to you. Lord, that we would love you, that we would put things aside that have hindered us. And God, we would just come after you with our whole heart. Lord, today we give you permission to transform us, to change us. Lord, to conform us to the person that you want us to be. God, we love you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God is good, amen? All the time. God is just good. And I'm excited to be here this morning. My name is Travis. I am the next generation pastor here at Church on the Rock. And I'm excited to be speaking with you today. As you saw in the video and we talked about, you know, we want to continue to pray for Pastor John. Amen. He's the spiritual covering of our house, man of God. And, uh, you know, we're just praying for rest. And hopefully he'll be back in the saddle next weekend and all will be good. But seriously, as Miss Linnell said, um, the next, I guess, about 32 days, uh, our team's going to be in Africa. So be praying for them. That's a big deal. It's mostly teenagers and young 20s that are going there to build a church in a Muslim world. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. $70,000 they raised to go to a Muslim world to live in tents for a month. Let me tell you, Jesus isn't afraid of dark places, amen? And when we say yes to him, great things can happen. I'm telling you, I'm just looking forward to the testimonies that are going to come back today from the Montana trip and also from Africa. So remember to pray for them. How many fishermen or fisherwomen do we have in the house this morning? Show of hands. Awesome. How many people have caught a big fish before? Yeah, it's like this big when you catch it and then like that big when you start telling people about it. Well, I went fishing a few days ago and I want to show you what I caught. Check this out on the screen if Mason will show it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If I saw one of those things, I would just die. I mean, I wouldn't even put up a fight. You can take that off the screen. But I love to fish, and I don't get to fish as much as I'd like to, but it's just fun being out in the boat or being out on the water and just hanging out. Um, I can remember when I was probably 10 years old, maybe 11 years old, my grandpa has a cabin on the Little River about an hour away, and he's a trot liner, okay? Y'all know what trot liners are, right? You catch perch all day long, and then in the evening you set the lines, and the next morning, hopefully, you got a big catfish on there. Well, this is just how I was raised and how we grew up. And, and I can remember being with my grandpa on one of these occasions, and, and we set the trot lines at night. We, we put our perch on there. And the next morning, we came to check our lines. And we probably had two or three lines out. And if you know what trot lining is, when you're kind of over there in your boat and you're kind of troll molding or whatever molder you have, and, and you get kind of close to the bank where your line's tied, what you want to see is your line doing this. You know what that means? means you got a fish on there, hopefully, maybe a turtle, but hopefully a big fish. And I can remember we were going out, and I was, I was real young, probably, like I said, 10 years old. I was tired, and I can remember seeing that line move, and I woke up really quick. You know, I'm like, all right, I got my, my dip net. I'm ready to get this thing. And I can remember that day we hauled in a whole lot of fish, but particularly we caught this catfish that, I mean, I don't remember the exact weight, but it was over 40 pounds, maybe 100 pounds. <laughs> It was at least 40 pounds. This is this huge catfish, and I can remember we had this old porcelain bathtub behind our cabin, and we just laid it in there, and it was up on both sides. It was awesome. And here's the thing. This morning, I'm not here to talk about fishing stories, though they're fun. 
I want to talk about some fishermen, okay? I want to talk about some fishermen this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 21, verse 3. And we're going to check out a very familiar story here. And this is going to kind of set as a backdrop to where we're going. I'm reading from the ESV. You can read with me or you can read it on the screen. It says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the other shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Okay, stop right there. So obviously Peter is not as good a fisherman as all of us in here, okay? Peter's a professional fisherman. He's not catching anything. And today I want to ask the question, and if I had a sermon titled, this is what it would be, what are you catching? With your life right now where you are, what are you catching? We all know, every single one of us, we're given a limited time here on this earth. You know, maybe we live to be 100 Maybe you live to be 70. Maybe we live to be 50, whatever it is. But we have a certain amount of time predestined by God that we're going to live. And the question is, what are we going to do with the time that God has given us? Will we make a difference? Will we make an impact? Will we do something great? Or will we waste our time and just kind of go through the motions? Will we allow God to kind of set the pace and the direction for our whole life? Will our life mean something by the end when we're done? And even a better question, is our life meaning something even right now today? Well, our life account for something more than just, I don't know, a nice house or a nice car or, or some prestige or money in the bank. What is our life accounting for right now? And I think every now and then it's good to look at our life and it's good to evaluate and ask ourselves these questions. What am I doing right now? Which direction am I going? Am I chasing the things that God wants me to chase? Am I putting my time, my effort, my money, my energy, everything into the things that God wants me to do? Or am I kind of just doing my own thing? And I have to ask myself this question all the time. Am I just kind of drifting or am I living a life of purpose? Am I going after God? And I believe today is a day just to look at our life. And I believe through the life of Peter, we're going to see some things that maybe God may want to redirect us or just encourage us or inspire us to keep going after him. Amen? Everyone say, what are you catching? All right. Here we have Peter, and a lot of you, you're real familiar with this story, and that's good. But we have Peter, this is at the end of the book of John, along with the disciples, and we find them fishing. The problem is they're not having any success at all. I can't tell you how many days I've been in the boat or a bank, and I've been fishing all day, only not to catch anything. Now, there's not a bad day when you're fishing, but if you're fishing and you're getting sunburned, you want to catch something, right? How many people have you been fishing? When I was younger, and I'd, I'd be fishing with, you know, a, a cork, and I'd be looking at this thing all day long. I'd close my eyes at night, and I'd see that thing, like bobbing around, you know. So the fishermen, Peter and them, they're catching fish all day, and they're not catching anything. But Jesus shows up on the scene, and they start catching fish. Let me tell you, when Jesus shows up on the, th on the scene, things get better, always. When Jesus shows up in your marriage, things get better. When Jesus shows up at work, things get better. When Jesus is walking with us throughout our life, Jesus just makes things better. So not only is Jesus the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Healer, Jesus also knows where to catch the fish, right? So uh, now it's important to note what has just happened as we look at this story. I want to give you a little bit of background so we know where we're at. The greatest thing that the world has ever seen has just occurred. Jesus has just died on the cross for the sins of mankind. He's been buried, and three days later, he's rose again. Amen? 
And because of this, we have what? Salvation. We have freedom. We have deliverance. We have a relationship restored with God. What had been forfeited in the Garden of Eden has been restored through Jesus dying on the cross. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have life. There's nothing that we can't overcome through the blood of Jesus. Sin, addiction, depression, we can overcome it because we serve the overcomer, right? So Jesus has just been raised from the dead, okay? And immediately, he heads for the Sea of Galilee. It's amazing how deliberate Jesus is. Everything that Jesus does in your life and in the earth is deliberate. Nothing is happenstance that Jesus does. Jesus isn't just showing up walking by the sea because he wants to skip some rocks, okay? Jesus is very deliberate in everything that he did. You know, Jesus isn't just sitting at a well, you know, and just waiting for something to drink. He's waiting for the woman. Jesus isn't just going through this particular town because he just likes this town. He's waiting on the man to come run up there because his son is sick, right? Jesus doesn't just go to Bethsaida because he wants to go there. Everything that Jesus does throughout the New Testament, throughout your life, is very, very specific. He has a specific thing he's doing in your life, even right now. We need to understand that. He doesn't just wander to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is on the, on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, and he's yelling to some guys fishing, and he gives them some advice. Okay, now this, this passage of Scripture should sound very familiar to, not because you've read it several times or I just read it, but because about three years earlier in the life and the ministry of Jesus, we have a very, very similar passage, and I want to read it. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. This is a, basically a parallel of what's just happened, except it's three years earlier. I want you to check this out. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaree, or the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were fishing, or were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or Peter. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. All right, we can stop right there. This is actually three years earlier than where I started with the text this morning. We have Peter, we have Jesus, same body of water, and Peter's catching nothing. Okay, can you say deja vu? It's like the same picture again. Peter is doing what Peter did best. Okay, as we have two accounts, he's not a very good fisherman from what I can see, but this is what he did. He was a fisherman. This was his job. This was his daddy's job. This was his granddaddy's job. Back in the day and even in Middle Eastern culture today, what your dad did, that's what you did. If your dad was a fisherman, you were going to be a fisherman. If your dad was a stonemason, you would come up and that's what you would do. Praise the Lord, we live in a nation where we have the freedom to become whoever we feel God wants us to be. Amen? That's awesome. But back in the day, I mean, your dad was a fisherman, so you're going to be a fisherman. Okay, this is how he supported his family. This is how he paid the bills. But like I said, honestly, from these two accounts, dude's not very good at fishing. Okay, either way. The first time Jesus finds he's not catching any fish, the second time he's not. So Jesus, in the first scripture, he's looking at the sea. He's looking for someone. He's already resurrected. He's looking for Peter. The last scripture that I just read, he's at the sea, and he's looking for someone. He's looking for Peter. Two different accounts, three years apart, of basically the same thing. Same location, same person he's looking for, and the same guy's not catching any fish. Jesus shows them how to catch fish. It's the same picture, okay? We need to answer this question. Why is Jesus looking for Peter to begin with three years earlier? He's looking for followers, Jesus is looking for disciples. Jesus was looking for 12 special guys that would change the world. 
12 special guys. Do you know that we're here today because of these 12 special guys? We're here today in 2013 because 12 men decided to follow one man and they caught a hold of what Jesus did in their life and they changed the world. That's a big thing. We have hundreds of churches even in this city and it's all because of one man poured his life into 12 who said, you know what? We're going to do what you want us to do. We're going to follow you. See, Jesus sees a little bit different than everybody else. He sees a little bit deeper than everybody else. On the outside, Peter and half the disciples are just fishermen, but Jesus knew what he could do with people if they just followed him. The prerequisite for being a Christian is nothing except get up and follow Jesus. That's it. If you can follow him, you can be a Christian. You've got to see him first to follow him, though, right? That's why we pray. That's why we read our Bibles. And then we follow Jesus. Jesus knows what he can do with our life because he created us. He knows us, and he knows the potential inside of us if we will just follow him. Check out the first thing that Jesus says to Peter after he tells him how to catch some fish. Luke 5, 10. It says, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Say men. And what they, the next verse, and what they had brought in their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. So the first time or the first thing he says to Jesus, Jesus tells him two things. First time Peter sees Jesus, tells him two things. Number one, where to catch the fish. Number two, he says, you're not going to fish for a living anymore, Peter. You're going to catch men. And again this morning, I want to ask every single person in here, with your life right now, how you're living, what are you catching? What are you catching? Okay? I think it's important that we catch this. Jesus is telling, you know, a grown man, most theologians think he's 18, 19, or 20 years old. He's saying, hey, man, you're not going to catch fish anymore. You're going to catch men instead. What does that mean? It means this. The life that you had before you met me, Peter, was not bad. It was okay. It was a good lifestyle. But it was a lifestyle that you had made for yourself. It's not bad. Your job, your career isn't bad, but your calling is bigger than just a job, Peter. But Peter, you're not going to catch fish anymore. You were made to catch men. I'm about to give you a life that's so much more rewarding and fulfilling than just a job. You are going to come after me, and you are going to catch men. But for this to happen... You've got to throw your nets down, you're catching the wrong thing, and you've got to follow me immediately. That's a big deal. The disciples following Jesus was a big deal. Can you think about this? A man comes up to you, hey, come follow me. The Bible says that the disciples left, and they followed this man. This is amazing. Let's think about it for a second. This could be really scary. Has anybody, uh, God, ever asked you to do something that's kind of scary? Uh, go on a mission trip. Write a tithe check. I mean, come on. But when we follow him, it's so rewarding. You've done something your whole adult life, talking about Peter, and then some guy comes up to you and tells you to give it up. It's amazing how so many people that we read in the Bible, great men and great women of God, God called them out of their current lifestyle into something different. He called some of them to leave their home, to leave their job. Some of them even to leave their family at times. You remember Noah, you remember Abraham, Esther, Moses, all these people. But God did something so transforming and amazing in their life. I'm telling you, when we follow Jesus, it's not going to mess us up. It's going to help us. If you want to do something great for God, I want you to listen to me this morning. You have to follow him. If you want to do something great for God, you have to follow him. Heck, if you want to be a Christian, you have to follow him. And I think over the years, we've dumbed this down a lot of times, even in the church world. Jesus is not a politician looking for votes. Jesus is almighty God looking for people that will follow him, not just fans. 
And I think we have a lot of times, even in the church world, we have people that are fans. Like we're a fan of the Texas Rangers, or we're a fan of the Dallas Cowboys sometimes. And we're, we're fans. But Jesus never called us to be fans. He said, I want followers. Jesus had multitudes of people that followed him into cities, right? He had all these people that wanted a miracle, all these people that said, yeah, Jesus, you're awesome. Remember when he came in uh, before he was crucified? Everyone's there giving him a big party. How many people stayed with him to the end? Even the disciples ran off. Jesus is looking for followers. And I think we need to evaluate our life and look at our life. Am I a follower or am I a fan? Am I following him? Because when I follow him, that means wherever he goes, I'm following that doesn't mean I go do my own thing and then ask Jesus to bless me. And I think if I could characterize the Christian world a lot of times, even in my own life, I want to do something and I want Jesus to bless it. God, I'm going to go do this. Please bless me. The call to be a Christian is to follow him and he'll bless himself. He's going to bless you as you're following him. That's what God wants us to do. Okay, so right after Jesus shows Peter where the fish are and all this stuff, Jesus uh, basically invites him on the greatest journey ever. The greatest journey ever. I want you to check this out. Right after Jesus shows Peter how to catch the fish, Peter's boats are overflowing with fish. Probably more fish than he had ever caught in one particular time. Most scholars believe that this would have been a small fortune. Maybe half of a year's wage are in Peter's boat when Jesus tells him where to cast the nets. Right when Peter has reached the pinnacle of his fishing career, I mean, when you're fishing, you're praying all day, God, let me catch some fish. He's caught more fish than he's ever caught in his life. He's at the pinnacle of his career up until this point. And what does Jesus say? Leave him and come and follow me. Isn't that just like Jesus? Come on. Here's the pinnacle of everything you wanted. That's great, but I got something better. And I think a lot of times we, we see success in our life. And, and I'm telling you, God can, God's the one that I believe that makes us successful. But I think sometimes... We get to places in our life, maybe we're comfortable, maybe where things are going really good, and it's easy to just say, God, I'm successful, I'm comfortable, I'm good. You can keep walking. I'm going to stay here for a few minutes. That's not Christianity. Christianity is following him. Amen? Look what Peter does. Matthew 4.20, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They left it all. Think about it. I ask myself this question all the time. Would I be willing to leave it all? I think it's a good question to ask. Would I be willing to give everything to God? Would I be willing even to read my Bible and pray every single day is a good question. This would be like you're, you're drafted, you're a great football player, and you're drafted in the first round, first pick overall, and you feel the Lord saying, hey, I want you to go do X, Y, or Z. Go be a teacher, go be a missionary. You're guaranteed millions of dollars, and you leave it behind because there's something greater, okay? To follow Jesus, catch this, it costs something. To follow Jesus, it costs something it always have. Always has. Jesus didn't need Peter's fish. Jesus doesn't need our money. Jesus wants our heart. That's what he wants. Christ calls us to make a decision. Luke 14, 27. You can put that on the screen. It says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's heavy. Go back to verse before this, Luke 14, 26. This is Jesus' words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and even his own life, he cannot be non disciple. And I'll be with you. I mean, I'll be honest. That's a hard scripture. I've read this through so many times, and I'm like, man, I think the, the transcribers messed up on this. Jesus wants me to hate something? Come on. This doesn't make sense, and it's easy to overlook. 
Just a few months ago, I was listening to a guy, and I just caught a revelation of what this means. Jesus isn't telling us to hate our wife and our kids. I mean, throughout the Bible, Jesus tells us to love. But what this means is this. We should love God so much. Our love for God should be so high that our love for everyone else looks like hate in comparison. Let me tell you, I love my wife with, with all my heart. We're having a baby here in about six or eight weeks. I'm excited about it. As much as I love her, as much as I love her, my love for God should make my love for my wife look like hate. And I'm telling you, that caught me between the eyes. Jesus is not calling us to just love him like we love something else. He's calling us to love him with a deeper love. And the only way we can do that is to catch a revelation of his love for us. Read, pray, see how he loves us. See how he's working in our life. So Peter gives up his life as a fisherman, and he goes on the greatest journey of all times. For three years, he walks with Jesus. How many people think that would be amazing? To walk with Jesus, literally. Peter's walking with Jesus for three years. He's a disciple. He sees Jesus open blind eyes. He sees Jesus reach out his hand with a man with leprosy, and it's healed. He sees Jesus, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration transform. He sees, or he hears the Sermon on the Mount. Not only is he walking and seeing Jesus do all this amazing stuff, he's a part of it. Peter walked on the water. Peter is casting out demons. Peter's doing all of this amazing stuff that I believe should follow a Christian life. A Christian's life should be exciting. It should be adventurous. It should be full of life. As Christians, we shouldn't be the ones that are walking around with our head down all the time depressed. We have life if we'll just choose life. Life is in Him. Life is in the Word. Life is in worship. That's where life is at, amen? I'm telling you, sold out 100% in life for Jesus is so worth it. But the problem is so many people will not experience everything that God has to offer because we don't fully go in all the way. A lot of times we just do just enough. A lot of times we just, you know, barely, uh, this was good and, and I'm comfortable at this level and I'm just going to stay here for a little bit. I'm telling you, God is calling us to more. God is calling us to more than just, you know, even Sunday morning church. We're so glad every single person is here this morning, but I want you to know there's more than just coming to church. There's so much more. And I'm telling you, I, I think one of the problems that we've had in modern Christianity is we say, you know what, I'm just a regular Christian. Let's let the Jesus freaks take care of the witnessing and the praying and the serving and the volunteering. There's not a level of Christianity if you read the New Testament. It's who will follow me. And I'm telling you, it's not Pastor John's job to, to, to be the one that's witnessing and ministering everyone. everyone. His job is to equip us. Saturday, Sunday, he's equipping us to go out and do the work of the ministry. That's what he's calling us to do, God. And let me tell you, I walk around with Pastor John all the time. He lives what he preaches. And we'll be walking around out here on uh, the pond or the lake out here at Spring Lake Park. Pastor John, man, we can't go 10 steps without him handing out an invite card or telling someone that Jesus loves them. I'm telling you, I want that kind of passion. That's the kind of passion we're called to have for God. And it's not something that comes overnight. It's something that comes in the quiet place, right? Peter's seen it, and he's done it all. He's walked with Jesus. Can you imagine all this stuff? Yet, what we picked up today, three years later, we see him fishing again. Not following, not catching men, not doing what Jesus left him to do, but he's fishing. And the question is, why? How could this happen? Peter, you walk with Jesus. You saw all these great things. How are you fishing again? And the thing is, we do... The same thing so many times. It comes a point in every Christian's life where things are going to get tough. And maybe you're in a situation this morning where things are tough. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. We live in a sinful world. 
Or maybe things don't work out like you thought they would in a relationship or at your job. You didn't get the promotion. You didn't pass the math test. You didn't make varsity, whatever it is. And there's the big question of faith. Are we going to continue to have faith and trust? You have financial difficulties right now. Are you going to continue to believe and trust? At some point, this faith thing of yours is going to be challenged and mine's going to be challenged. And the enemy is going to come at us with every single thing that he has. Why is the enemy going to come at us all the time? Because he knows who Jesus is. The enemy knows better than anybody who Jesus is. The Bible says Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So the enemy is going to come at us with everything he has because he knows the potential inside of us. If we live a laid down life for God, then when we say, God, my life is not my own, but it's yours. When we live for God, Satan gets scared. And that's why he comes at us so hard. All right? He knows who Jesus is. Do we know who he is? See, why is Peter went fishing again? And Nick can go ahead and come up in just a couple minutes. Because Jesus has got captured. Peter gets scared, scared for his life, scared for his future. The man that he's walked around with for three years has been taken. Now he's been killed. Things are tough. Obviously, Jesus has been telling him all along the disciples what was going to happen. Destroy this temple, and in three days it's going to be rebuilt. All these things, they didn't get it. Remember what Peter does right after Jesus is captured. Remember, right after he's captured, Peter is following at a distance is what the Bible says. And people come up to him, aren't you a disciple? No, man, I'm not a disciple. Don't you know Jesus? I don't even know the guy. And then the last time, the little slave girl comes up, you're a disciple. Peter starts to cuss and says, I don't even know the man. You remember the story of the rooster crows because Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. The rooster crows. Man, that's where Peter's at. It's like, come on, Peter. You know Jesus. But how many times do we do the same thing? How many times when we get in a tough situation, how many times when we get uncomfortable, do we just kind of start doing our own thing? Do we deny him? Do we leave him? I want you to ask yourself this morning, when you get stressed out, do you check out? When things get tough, do you just zone out? I'm telling you, the biggest drug I believe in America today is the television. I'm telling you, it's easy to just flip that thing on, and three hours later, you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't even remember what I watched. I, I read a stat several years ago that if you watch two hours of TV for a lifetime, that would come to eight years of your life. Some of you in here need to hear that. Turn the TV off. Read your Bible. All right? Peter was selling Jesus out because he was scared, because he was confused, confused about his purpose, confused about his future. We've all been there. Maybe you're there right now. Peter didn't know that Jesus had a plan. Peter didn't know that Jesus was coming back. Peter forgot who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He commanded the seas. He grabbed leprosy, and it dissipated. He forgot who Jesus was. So what does Peter do? After three years of following him so close, he gets in a boat again, starts fishing, and isn't catching anything. Let me tell you, when you've been going after God and you start taking steps back, it's not fulfilling. You're not successful. It doesn't feel rewarding. I believe that P Peter going back to this boat is a picture of normal. You may be a teacher, you may be a nurse, you may be a businessman, you may be a student, you may be a stay-at-home mom, you may be owning your own business and have millions of dollars in the bank, but you were not called to be normal. We were called to have a passionate love affair with God. We're called to the secret place. We're called to know Him. We're called to do what He says. We're called to obey Him. We're called to see what He is doing and do the same. We're called to be compassionate. We're called to live holy. We're called to live righteous. We're called to help people. We're called to forgive. And so many times we lose track of that. Your trade may be X, Y, or Z, but every single one of us in here, we have the same calling, and it's Him. 
It always has been. Peter's went back to what he used to do, what he knew, what was common. He's chasing his dreams, his goals, his ambitions again. And let me tell you, that lifestyle of going back to fishing or whatever it is, it's easy, but it's never fulfilling. It's never rewarding, and it will never supply the need that Jesus does. What's ironic about Peter going back to fishing three years later is he's fishing on the same body of water that he walked on just a few years earlier. Isn't that crazy? Think about your mindset. You got your pole out there, your net, you're not catching anything. And I walked on this water. I just denied Jesus three times. Denied that I even knew him. And you know what? An old lifestyle is always easy to go back to because it's always waiting for you. That dead-end relationship is always waiting for you. That depression is always waiting for you. That lackluster Christianity is always waiting for you. That mediocrity, that Sunday morning is all I do with God once a week, it's always waiting for you. There's more. And if I came to say anything this morning, it's there's more than just going to church. There's more. See, we have Peter. He's depressed. He's on the water. He's discouraged. He's denied the greatest man that's ever walked the earth, trying to catch some fish, and he can't even catch fish. He's been abandoning what Jesus told him to do, abandoning what he did for three years. But what I love about Jesus, as soon as Jesus has been resurrected, what does Jesus come to do? He's looking for Peter. As soon as he comes back, he's looking for the man that has just denied him. And he's not looking to hit him or, or get mad at him or thump him. He's looking to restore him. He's looking to redeem him. I'm telling you, i got a short temper. Man, I'm telling you, it's just the grace of God. If you mess with me and, and you do me wrong, I just, I just want to be done with you. Jesus is not like that. He comes to redeem. Redeem means to buy back. It means to take back what was lost or what was forfeited. And Peter was broken. He was confused. He was going uh, to, back to get him. I love it. Jesus is going back to get him. This is the story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of redemption. It's the story of God returning to us even though we don't deserve it. Every one of us, even on our best day, we do not deserve God's mercy and God's forgiveness. But I'm telling you, God is so good. He is so faithful and He is so true and He loves us. Some of you tonight need to hear this or this morning. God's not wanting to mess you up or hit you or destroy you. He's wanting to restore you. He's wanting to redeem you. But that's a choice that we make. God, you can either stand back or you can come in. Jesus is there to redeem me. This is the story. Look what Jesus says to Peter as I close. Right after he comes back for him, Peter's got his head down. He's on the water, not catching any fish again. Look what he says, John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? I think maybe he's talking about the fish. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And we don't have time to go into the the, the usage of the words that are used in the Greek and, and how Jesus uses the agape and all that. But I think the main crux is this. Jesus is saying, you denied me three times. I'm asking you this question three times to restore you. I'm asking you this question so you get the opportunity to love me. Do we understand the opportunity that we have to love God? We get to love him. The greatest man, the greatest thing ever, we get to love him. What else does Jesus tell Peter in this dialogue? He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He is basically saying, Peter, your mission 
is not to catch fish, it's to catch men. Jesus came to reaffirm his love to him, and then he said, I want to remind you, Peter, of your mission. You messed up, you went back to your boat, I'm not done with you, but I want to remind you what you've been called to do. It's catch men. Catch men. As we know later, kind of about Peter's life, he becomes the head of the church. You look in Acts, and his shadow is healing people. This dude went from zero to hero. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down for Jesus. Let me tell you, that guy came a long way from denying him to dying for him. That's a big deal. Today I came to remind every single one of you in here, your calling. Not to ask you your job, but to say your calling is to catch men. I want everyone just to stay on your feet for a moment. We're about to go into a time of just worship, a time of prayer. If you need anything in prayer. But I want to ask two questions. Here's the first question. Where is your relationship with God this morning? I know a lot of you in here, you're here at 9 a.m. I know you love God. But right now in your life, where is your relationship with God? Are you going after Him? Are you loving Him? Are you following Him? Or maybe you've started to take a few steps back. Maybe you've just kind of got comfortable and you're just... I don't know, sitting in a boat fishing again. You love God, you're not doing anything bad, but passionately going after Him? Maybe not right now. Or maybe you're in this place today and, and you've never invited Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, it's the greatest decision that I've ever made. To give Him everything that I hold dear and say, God, here it is. And how He's transformed it and turned it and God's just done so much for me in my life. I'm telling you, Jesus died on the cross so we could be restored to God. He loves us so much. If you're in this place today, and this is kind of a broad thing, but maybe you've never invited Jesus in, or maybe you've just kind of stepping back a little bit, and you know God's calling you to more. I'm telling you, today is your day to say, Jesus, come and do what you do. Come and rescue me. Come and redeem me. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just pray for me. I need God to just redeem me, restore me. Amen. Let me just pray. Lord, I thank you for every person that's in here. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you know us. Lord, every person in here that maybe is away from you a little bit, Lord, I pray that we would let you come restore us. We would let you come redeem us. God, we thank you for your grace. Lord, anybody in here that's not saved, Lord, I thank you that your word says, if we just call in the name of Jesus, we'll be saved. Lord, I pray that we would put our whole trust in you, that we would follow you with everything that we have in Jesus' name. And here's kind of the last question. This is the point of the whole message. Are you catching fish? Are you catching men? And what I'm asking is, what is your life all about? Is your life all about you? Is your life about following Him? I'm not asking you what your job is. I'm asking you what you're catching. Catching men means that we're doing what God wants us to do. We're loving people. We're living a lifestyle that honors God. We're discipling people. We're loving on people. We're doing the things of the Bible. We're being compassionate. We're showing mercy. Are we doing those things in our life right now? Because I'm telling you, we live in an American culture. It's so easy to get sidetracked. But Jesus today, I believe, wants to encourage us. Just like he said to Peter, hey, your calling is men. The people at your job, the people at your work, the people at your school, that's your calling. You may get a paycheck and that's good. That's a secondary thing. The first thing is making men disciples, right? The secondary consequence may be getting all A's or whatever, but the reason that you're at your school is to catch men. Here's what I want to do. I just want to pray just a, a grace over everyone that we will be stirred to catch men. And during this prayer, I want my prayer team to come up. 
If that's you, just as I'm praying, just lift a hand up or just receive this prayer. Lord, we're, we're not perfect at all. And Lord, we need you. Lord, help us, every single one of us. Help us, Lord, to catch men. Help us to be focused on the things we need to be focused on. Help us to be focused on who you are. Lord, help us to love you. Lord, help us to see what you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us to prioritize things correctly where you're number one. Lord, you're above everything. You're above hobbies. Lord, you're above work. You're above even our families. You're number one. God, give us the grace to put you number one. Give us the grace to love you. God, and I pray over all my friends today, God, that we would be catchers of men and not just things, not just fish. Lord, bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back into just a song of worship. The prayer team is up here. If you have any needs, we would love to pray for you. But I want to challenge everyone in this room for the next moment or two. Let's just love on God. He's worthy. Amen. He's worthy. You are worthy, Lord. And when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, and how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. And when I think about the Lord,